Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another wonderful world of the GNT Show and the amazing happenings and goings on in the world of rugby league. And once again, I'm joined by a man who has to start off by apologising for getting the podcast out late last week because he was arrested at Belmore Car Park. Gee, it can be tricky to get reception in Belmore Car Park, so I had to set up a satellite phone. Old school. The other thing that we should apologise to our listeners for getting the pot out late last week, um, G did call me and uh, I just really didn't want to use the 50 bucks to parole him out. Fantastic. I can always count on your support. So if there's anybody else that would like to join the pod and get rid of my co-host, give me a call. You know what? I thought to myself, this has got to be a quiet week after the near overthrow of Julius Caesar last week. But no, you know, when I started listing out the things that happened this week and the news stories... It was actually, Rugby League doesn't do quiet weeks. I'll start at the top. Again, and we seem to be starting this pot out with um, sad news stories of late, but Steve Mortimer and Johnny Sattler came out with their dementia stories during the week in the the Telegraph. And largely, again, uh, I can't help but feel there's a bit of an agenda there from the Daily Telegraph to support the Emperor. But... Sad, sad news about Steve Mortimer and, and, and Johnny Sattler in particular as well. Someone's legends of the game that played in a bygone era where there wasn't protection for the head. I have seen Steve Mortimer and... Just when he's driving in and out of... Belmore Car Park, yep. And you had a sense that you know his health was deteriorating a little bit. What that is driven by, who knows? But they do say, you know, repeated knocks of the head can cause a greater risk of dementia is probably the best way to put it. So I don't know if both men are de- donating their brains to the brain bank, but I mean, I think this CTE issue in rugby league is real and I, and I think that the sport's got to get on top of it. Um, so our thoughts are with Steve Mortimer and Johnny Sattler, and Scott Sattler gave quite an emotional interview in the paper about his dad, and so we wish them all the very best and good health, actually. Seems opportunistic, and in some ways, you know, you, the cynical, cynical side of me says it probably is, but it is a real issue, and now's the time to really talk about it and bring that to light. Fair enough. So we might move on to the big signing news of the week, which was Nico Hines going to Cronulla, the release of Sean Johnson, Josh Dugan, and Aaron Woods. And there is a rumour going around that Mitchell Pearce is going to end up there as well next season. Craig Fitzgibbon's a big fan of Mitch Pearce. And of course, his, uh, his, his large contract at Newcastle is coming to an end. He has signed a one-year extension, but I, I, I get the sense that Newcastle would let him go as, if they could find a suitable home for him. I think so. They've got Jake Clifford there now. He's come down from North Queensland. I thought this was a fantastic signing for the Sharks. Nico Hines has looked fabulous. Great player. The Sharks needed to do something. The Matt Moylan-Sean Johnson combination with Chad Townsend wasn't cutting it. Uh, Matt Moylan's secretly been playing well. Yeah. And SJ hasn't been able to get on the park. So the rumour is SJ might go to Souths for one one year just to play a holding role, role until Lachlan, Ilias and Blake Tarfe are ready. But there's a whole host of off-contract halves, including Connor Watson, Ash Taylor, the artist formerly known as Anthony Milford, and <laughs> yeah. um, Corey no- Cor- Corey Norman. Smooth Corey Norman. That's right. So, so I mean, thought letting Josh Dugan and Aaron Woods go, given the money they were on, was a bit of a no-brainer. But what really caught my eye about Nico Hines, uh, and I presume they're going to turn him into a half, some either a half or a 5'8", because they got William Kennedy back there at fullback. I think the signing is a good one. He's more a 5'8 than a fullback, but he can also inter- play interchangeably with Will Kennedy, I think, at times anyway. So they can play both somewhat of a little hybrid role but Nico Hines is a ball player he can do everything he's been they have not missed the beat since Pappenheisen's been out no can I also say great signing for the Sharks a million dollars the Broncos offered him over three seasons and he signed for 1.8 million for Cronulla wow if you're the Broncos uh you need to pay market value or overs to get players the days of them lowballing players to try and get them there are gone I I mean, if they had offered 1.6 and the Sharks offered 1.8, I would have gone, okay, fair enough. Maybe they just couldn't afford it under their salary cap. But the fact that they offered 1 million versus 1.8, they weren't even in the ballpark. I mean, who's running the show and recruitment at the Broncos? Well, I I don't know. But their recruitment's diabolical, really. I think they're caught in between a change in the game where you can't just bash and barge with athletes. You watch some of the better teams and they all got footy players that play good football across the field. And I think they're getting caught in between their old school recruitment style and what is actually needed now to succeed in the game at the moment. And I think they don't know what they're doing, to be honest. The players they've let go, players they've tried to keep, it's all a bit of a mess, which is fantastic to see. It's awesome. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I don't like the Broncos either. But Nico Hines, Nico Hines for the Sharks, whether he plays fullback or in the halves, he's going to be in either position. He's going to be their best player. That's a great signing. It is a great signing. He's in his prime. He's coming into his own. He's really taken a step up. They can build a future with him, and he's just got it. He's got the ball playing. He's got the the vision. You can play him as a, a bit of a runner and a bit of a, a solely as a ball player. He just adds so much to their team and gives them options. So it's a really really good pickup by the Sharks. Very impressive actually. Imagine they'd got Adam Reynolds. It'd be a as great well. combo. The one thing I do did find interesting about Nico Hines was when you read some of the articles. Apparently, only now he's become a hot commodity. I mean, did anybody watch football last year watching him play for the Storm? Some of these recruiters. Either maybe they're talking to them in the background or they're slow to move off the mark. Like I think they've got an idea of what they want. There's almost a confirmation bias, right? They, they kind of That's all they're looking for. They're not looking for anything that actually works. They're looking for what they, they think works. So Nico Hines, for example, was coming off the bench. He was Ryan Pappenhuysen's understudy, yeah. um, etc. You know what I mean? They were, lo- they were looking for what they were looking for, yep. not necessarily Nico Hines. Yep. But his form's been irrepressible. I mean, he's been one of the form players in the comp. He's been sensational, to be honest. So good pick up for the Sharks. If he can get a run of games in, he might be a smoky for the Dally M. He'd come close, actually, on current form. If he stays in the starting 13, it's, it's actually possible. But Jesus, the Broncos, three years for one million. What the hell? They're off with the fairies. I mean, there is a lot of problems at the Broncos. Oh, there's heaps. I mean, th- it's good to see, I reckon. They were so dominant for so long, sweeping up all the other team's best players whenever they felt like it. Gee, you say that, but it's been it's been 15 years since they've won the comp. 2006 was the last time they won it. When you remember those dominant Broncos teams, it's been six years since they made... Is it six years or four years since they made a grand final? Yeah. Against North Queensland? Yeah. And it's been 15 years since they've won the comp. That's a long time for the Brisbane Broncos. It is a long time. So in, in other news this week, of course, Blake Ferguson got dropped. Yeah, I'm sure you were loving that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, I mean, if you noticed, we came out and blew the nights away and looked much better around the edges. I thought Wonga Blake actually had a good game. He did. After he did. Him, he had a he good did. Game, so, so but, but you know what I liked about Blake Ferguson getting dropped? They gave him the option to have a week off, mm. and he said, no, I'm going to... I'm going to play in reserve grade. So I thought that was good on him for doing that. I think that's quite good. I, I think with Blake, look, I know, you know, sometimes age catches up with all of us. And you look at Blake Ferguson, he's always been quite athletic, but he's a really big guy as well. And this year, to be honest, he trimmed down a lot, lost a lot of weight. But you can see on the wing, his age, is, it's just slowly creeping up on him, you know. Then all of a sudden, you're getting beaten in space really easily. Whereas, you know, once you hit you go past 30, 32, you start aging in dog years, you know? One extra year athletically, you decline quite well, sharply. Well, like Ferguson's case, once you get past 45, it's all downhill, right? <laughs> yes. It's got a, f- a, f- a fake passport. Yeah, correct. Ton Maker. Favourite? <laughs> Thon Ferguson. Thon Ferguson, yeah. And if you don't know the Thon Maker story, look it up. It's a great Reddit, Reddit thread. My favourite story of the week, though, is um, the the, Bron- the Bulldogs looking for a director oh, of football. Oh, don't get me started on and, and Honestly. <laughs> Phil Gould, even though he's already got a job with the Warriors. Oh, that was brilliant. And Phil Gould saying, you should have asked me when you signed Trent Barrett. I was open to it then. I'm not open to it now. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, What look, is I... going on at the Bulldogs? Previous board actually um, made that signing of Trent Barrett. So he probably thought, hey, you know what? We need Phil Gould. And they reached out to him, but... <laughs> he said, he said, he said, there's no way. There's no way. He looked at the roster and he goes, oh, this is a roster that's first grade quality. I can do a lot with this. I think it was good of them to try and reach out for something different. But at the end of the day, I think the Bulldogs have also got to understand we're not the Bulldogs from the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s. We're not even the berries. We're not. Yeah, we're not. You, you know, you can't just ask anybody. Everyone's going to come running to work with you now. We're not the same club in that manner. You know, in terms of, I guess, the prestige that the club holds, and you know, we've got to sort of pull 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 our socks up and um, get back into it and build the club back up. I think they're on headed in the right direction to some degree. Um, but I would have loved to see them reach out to Brian Smith, which I think is a bit of a miss. Whether he would do it or not, but I think he'd be a good signing to be that sort of, um, I guess, technical director, I suppose, or football director. Well, that's a good segue into someone who did accept the job, and that's Tim Sheens returning to Tiger Town. Yeah, I know. Returning I read that to as Concord well. to become the yeah to become the director of director of football for the Tigers. I think this was a great signing. Other than his initial stint with the Cowboys, who had tried to build the club up. 
He's been fantastic everywhere he's gone. The Tigers teams he had, he brought through. They were, I mean, they did have some off season, but they won the comp. They were, they had a couple of years where they regenerated players, and then they were. Well, the last time they made the finals, the semi finals was, was was he was the coach. They had a very good team too. Very good. Two thousand eleven. Yep, a two thousand and ten, two thousand eleven Tigers sides, and, and then he left in twenty twelve. It's been ten years. They haven't made the semi since he left. No good signing for the Tigers. I think. You know, you can use these really experienced operators that have seen it all, done everything in the game. It's good to have them overseeing and helping put in place structures for each of the clubs. The thing is, is how do the egos all then, do they actually work together well or, you know, do do people start to fall out? I mean, I love the Cleary is a wanker chant. I mean, what do you expect? Why would the Tigers fans not chant that? Like, what's the big deal? Well, apparently it was quite rowdy. It was quite a rowdy crowd. There was only 9,000 at Leichhardt, but... um. And, and I reckon, you know, they really wanted to give one back to Ivan, I reckon. Oh, yeah. I've got no problem with that. That's um, passionate sports fans. No issue there at all. And Ivan did walk out on them. <laughs> like, it's not like they're going to go shake And left them head. with a shit roster. Can yes, I just say, also yes. say that? A, a, another breaking news. I told you there was a lot of news this week, right? right? Now that you're going through it, I'm thinking there's actually quite a lot that's happened. Yes. It's a quiet week in the world of rugby league. So, Curtis Scott. Now, this he's got a bit of form. He allegedly was filmed in an altercation at Kokomo Nightclub in Canberra. The rumour is that um, there's video footage, yep. alleged video footage. He didn't report it to the the integrity unit because he didn't think it was a big deal. I'm not sure he's the brightest spark in the world, Curtis Scott. I think he might have gone to school with Tavita Pangai Jr. He's got quite a mixed reputation online, if you believe the rumours and stories yep. about him. So, And, and the rumour is Canberra could sack him. I mean, it's another blow to Canberra. They're just... I mean, he's played. He's played like a dog's breakfast this year. So he's defended out on the right edge, and they've been leaking like a sieve down that edge. So he's. They're probably looking for a reason to get rid of him in any event. But uh, there's more trouble in Ty- in Raider Town. Well, how can you turn down a nightclub called Kokomo from good old cocktail? It's from a good the name. 80s. Oh, great it's a name. Good name. The Beach Boys, and um, yeah. it's come look, on down it's to the, Aruba, <laughs> Jamaica, Canberra. I wanna take you. So um, you got um to George Williams. Yeah, well, he's gone back to London, so not to Kokomo. Uh, Curtis Scott obviously didn't pay attention to the NRL fining Corey Norman for getting punched. So he's, um, I think they'd be interested in the video. I think he was throwing the punch. The alleged, the allegation is that he was throwing the punch. He broke someone's well, At nose. least this time it's not the cops. So it looks like he's going to get in a, in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> allegedly. He yeah, got allegedly, off on that. He yes, did get he off did. on that one. Yeah, um, so. And this time it looks like he might have gotten himself in a, a spot of bother. But we'll see what comes out of it. Out of it and hopefully um, it's not too bad for... Curtis Scott. Now, more news today. Was Brett Morris officially retiring? Is that your cat? Yep. What's it doing? I don't know. She's trying to I've never seen a cat. I've never seen a cat climb a wall before. She's trying to climb the wall. Brett Morris officially retired. Yep. Um, and we gave him a bit of a eulogy earlier on in the season. Eulogy is the wrong term for it, but we gave him a bit of a... We, we shared our thoughts on Brett Morris and, and as someone who's followed him through the, throughout the car parks of Australia through his representative and club career. Of course. We gave him quite a glowing endorsement. Getting his autograph in every car park in um, Australia. Yeah, and you've got it framed on your wall that the cat's trying to climb over. So, But the interesting thing for, the, for me on this was, one was an interesting stat. Between Josh, Brett, and their dad, they've scored over 450 first-grade tries. That's, un- that's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah, it is. Incredible. Unbelievable. 450 amongst the dad and their two kids. Just fantastic. But the other thing is, what does Josh do? Josh doesn't have the premiership. And Josh, Josh looks like he's still got legs. I think Josh Morris could probably play at least another season. I, I think you're right. I think he'll keep going. I think the Roosters will keep him because he's still got some of that explosive burst and he's a big guy. So even if they lose a little bit of pace, they've got that good size-speed combination. So that'll probably keep him around for at least another year. And they at the Roosters, they're looking after him. They're training him the right way. So he's looking pretty good. At least another year, they're I think, They're paying him sure. a pittance, though. Of course they are. You know, he was on the scrap heap. Couple of years Any ago, messages for our Roosters friends out there? No, I don't. I think the Roosters have done a great <laughs> job in prolonging their careers and getting them in the best shape possible. It's good that players are willing to go to the Roosters for sometimes six, $700,000 less. Of course. It's like the Broncos. The Broncos tried that with Nico Hines and it didn't work. They did. They did, they did except, except it they used don't have to. the thoroughbreds. It used to. They don't have the thoroughbreds yeah, anymore, mate. Maybe that's what's wrong with their recruitment now. It doesn't work anymore. This is all the news before we get to the big news of the week, which is Origin. Yes. And so and and so it's been a massive week for the world of football, even though it seems quiet. Kalen Ponga and AJ Brimson were ruled out. 
Um, the interesting story about Kalen Ponga during the week was how involved his dad is. So his dad's not going to be the replacement fullback Every three for Queensland? <laughs> it's just, it does reek a little bit of dummy Dokic, doesn't it? Just, it does. It does smell a little bit of dummy Dokic. Without the craziness. Good luck with that, Kalen. What, what could possibly go wrong with uh, dads getting involved that much in your well, sport? Well, the next thing you know, I'm waiting for um, Andre um, Ponga to basically rant and film himself ranting about the cost of the catering at the grounds and that <laughs> packet of chips is extortion. At State of Origin, yeah, that's right. So AJ Brimson was also ruled out, which was their utility. Um, so Brinko Lee. <laughs> naturally, <laughs> naturally, what they did was um, they let... Reed Marnie go as 18th man. Yep. Dodgy Queensland. They let Reed Marnie go. Reed Marnie gets injured. And after they let Reed Marnie go, they've now called Ben Hunt into the squad. Of course they have. Yes. So Ben Hunt will be the utility on Wednesday night. You can absolutely take it to the bank. He wasn't picked in the original squad. And they've just dodged it up to get him in there again. He'll be there. He's a good guy to have on the bench. But it makes you think, like, Ben Hunt's been okay at times this year. And he's... In- He's playing State Well, his of last two games have been quite good, yeah. but but I mean, he was good against the Broncos he was. last weekend, but I reckon you and I could have done okay I think against so. the Broncos last weekend. So that that's all the news I had for this week. Did you have anything that I missed? The one thing that I sort of found interesting was the Tripper Deal CEO coming out and actually um, having a go at the NRL about the whole Jack DeBellin and the no stand down rule and... How Where do you sit to compensate on that? the clubs, etc. I'm with the NRL on this. I'm with the NRL in terms of the system they've put in or the concept. I think the Triple Deal CEO made good points about how it's executed and the impact on the actual clubs themselves. And I think that's the bit the NRL has to sort out. But I think he made good points about you know the club getting punished, the player getting punished two or three times. I think he made some good points. So it probably needs to be revised and sort of tweaked a little bit. Well, I mean, I I actually I agree with the no fault stand down rule. I think the clubs. I mean, the only thing I think that whatever they're paying that player shouldn't count towards the cap. Yep. But I don't think the NRL should pay for the person's salary. It's not the NRL that went allegedly accused of these things. I, mean, I don't think the NRL should compensate for them, but I don't think they should get wasn't punished that for what a salary. No, it was a salary cap perspective. So he was kind of like, well, you can't make the club pay for the whole of the salary, but then also punish them for the salary cap and then allow them to get another player with dispensation. And club gets punished multiple times for the player doing something. So I suppose he was saying that the system should be centralised rather than club-centric. I'm not sure. I think they did the best they could and I'm supportive of the stand-down rule. I mean, just I mean, if you want to avoid these situations, don't get yourself caught up in some of these things, right? Was there anything else we missed? No, nothing else this week. In a quiet week in the world of rugby league. Not much this week, actually. That's about it for me. Well, that was quite a bit. It was quite a bit, yes. (laughs) It was quite a bit in the soap opera that is the NRL. Listen, we've only got four games to cover because it is a a bye bye week. There was a lot of teams with byes and there was only four games to cover. The Bulldogs Bulldogs got two points this week, which I think is fantastic. A great win. I I did wake up during the week and I go, how did the Bulldogs win another game? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember it was the buy. So the one thing I will say though is, what other major sport in the world does this to their main club competition? It decimates the club competition for state of origin. When we were growing up, state of origin was big, but yes. the grand final was bigger. Now yes. state of origin is almost as equal or more so than the grand final. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think that's solely down to Channel Nine and the NRL not really putting their foot down. It it was lucrative for Channel Nine, so. I used to get the shit, to be honest. I, yes, I love watching Origin. It's an event. It's essentially, to me, an all-star game with a little bit more meaning and passion. But because it was such a money spinner for Channel 9, you'd watch Origin lore and stories and you know Origin fables and they'd bring out all the fogs and all this other kind of junk. And they'd hype the game up so much. But then the semis would come and go and they would do nothing of the sort. So you could see they had a vested interest in trying to make it such a hyped event. But it takes away from the actual competition. I've got no problem with the hype around Origin, but it has literally become as big or bigger than the grand final. And when I used to watch players, you know, they caught up in the emotion and, and the lore of it. And, you know, former greats talking to them and telling them what it means and... You know, it takes a lot of emotional energy to play. And then after the game, that was like, oh, that's like winning a grand final. I mean, it probably is. But is that really what the sport should be about? Like in terms of play, winning a game for Queensland is bigger than playing, winning a grand final for your team? I don't know. I mean, I know the feelings are probably the same because of all the emotion around it. But as a sport, that's kind of not what you should be aiming for. That's like the NBA coming out and saying, oh, I'm so glad I won the All-Star game. But 
you know, it, it's the same as winning an NBA championship. It's it's not. In any sport, it's not like that. I mean, you look at these round of games. A full-strength Panthers don't lose to the Tigers in no. any stratosphere this year. No. The Broncos and the Dragons didn't have too many players out, either teams, but... The Broncos were decimated, just like they were smashed. And the Dragons overcame the massive loss of Tariq Simmons. And, and, yeah, that's right. Like, it's just, it's just it, you're decimating the competition. I just don't... I, do you think it should be the end of the season? If you're going to do it during mid-season, I actually think they should either do it on a weekend, and I have a feeling that that might be a ratings issue as to why Origin is not on a weekend, and just actually take a break. Because, you know what, the players put their bodies on the line. They get hit hard out there. I don't think they can do that from a ratings perspective. Okay, they then there you the go. Revenue, right? So, so I, I, I'm actually a fan of doing it at the end of the season. Because then your club season becomes a true trial for Origin, and Origin becomes a true trial for your, rep, for your national games. And the other thing that I think the NRL really needs to pick up is, when we were growing up, the pinnacle of the sport was playing for your country. Now it's playing Origin. Yeah, I know. And that's what I mean. Like, the hype's become so massive that people's aim is to actually play... For New South Wales or Queensland, that's not a bad thing. But no, the, it should be. It should mean more to people to play for Australia than it does. Absolutely, to play for their state. And now you're getting to players that don't really want to play for New Zealand either, or some of them do, but because they want to play Origin because it's such a, a big game. Well, can I ask you something? How does Jerome Luai get picked? Did you see the interview during the week? He goes, he wants to play for New South Wales, but he's not made himself available for Australia. He wants to play for Samoa. Wasn't isn't this the Andrew Fafita thing all over again? They said he couldn't play Origin. What I'm saying to you is the rules aren't enforced. It's different rules for different players. Of course it is. Like, that's ridiculous. I, I think I think Jerome Luai should play for Samoa. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely am supportive of that because it's supportive of international football. But you can't then say to Andrew Fafita you can't play Origin. And the size of Andrew Fafita at the moment, he could probably take up two positions. But you know that's, what I mean. That's right. He'd be number 16 and 17 on the bench. So No, I think I think he'd be the entire back row. Yeah, but but it's not fair. But let's, let's be honest. Andrew Fafita is not as well-liked, is he? And that's really what it comes down to sometimes. Yeah, well, that, well, I mean, but it shouldn't be that way. It should be about the consistency. You should have a rule and apply the rule consistently. So, all right, let's move on to the round 13 games. We'll cover these off relatively quickly and then get into our origin preview. First up on the Friday night, or the Thursday night, actually, was the Dragons versus the Broncos. Um, this was a tight affair, really. Um, it, was a bit, it was a bit turgid, actually. There was no attacking, lots of defence in this game, and, and, and the Dragons ended up winning this 52-24. to It was an entertaining first half. I thought the first half was entertaining. That saw seven tries scored. It was. Pretty it was. poor conditions, and it was actually pretty yeah, the, good football in general. The, it, was, it, was, it was entertaining. The first half ended 24-18 to the Dragons after Jermaine Asako didn't ground a Corey Norman kick with the last play of the half and Matt Dufty scored. Dufty also set up Jack Bird for Saints' first try and was the class player on the field. Um, and he did that after making Tyson Gamble look like he was standing still. If you have a look at the, the try he set up, you just his footwork was amazing. A bit like RTS a few weeks ago, right? And then he did set up the Dragons third as well with the pass to Jared Beal. So Matt Dufty makes such a... We've said it before. Matt Dufty makes a huge difference to the attack of the Dragons. But in this half, he showed also, depending on which way you're looking at the football, why you should keep him and re-sign him and why you shouldn't. Because they had... No attack when he wasn't there, and he comes back and the attack looks brilliant again, mainly through him, but he was also responsible with bad positioning for three of the Broncos' tries too. So, so and, and I thought this game really was the 2008 Broncos versus the 2021 Broncos. Uh, for the Broncos, I thought Albert Kelly really is making a difference on the Broncos' right edge in attack. He is. And Rabadi, in his only his second game, got a double down that edge in the first half and then, and then got binned in the second half. And whilst he was off, Matt Dufty set up another two tries to extend the lead to 36-18, 10 minutes into the second half. The game really petered out to finish 52-24. But what a difference Matt Dufty makes. Even taking into account neither team wanted to tackle. He finished with two tries, five try assists, 130 metres, one line break and four line break assists. Just a brilliant effort. And the Dragons fans, I don't know what the solution is there, but you got... No attack without Matt Dufty. Admittedly, your defence is a little bit better, though. Look, to be honest, Matt Dufty doesn't play that game, and Saints don't win that game. They basically don't have the firepower to bridge the Broncos' defence, and he tore them to shreds, coming at them with pace, and then they had runners in play, and he would pick long, short, or he could step past, like you say, Tyson Gamble and create a break. He just gives them a thrust that none of the other players have, to be honest. And what, a what? that does... A what? A thrust in attack... The, the, the thing is for me too is when Dufty is there, the defense then has to watch him, right? So the defense hangs off Ben Hunt or hangs off 
Corey Norman because they've got to watch Dufty too. That's the other thing. When they've got a player that's less dangerous, the defense can cheat. When Matt Dufty's there, it, it, it gives space to the other players because he has to be watched. Similar, he's not the same as Billy Slater, but that's how Billy Slater used to make an impact for the Storm. Wherever he was, the defense had to always watch him. And I think that's what well, makes no the difference. Well, no Billy Slater. Billy no, Slater but... was a much better defensive fullback. And it's not necessarily the tackling. People like um, Joel Gould, I think, came out and said, oh, he's, that's ridiculous. He's only, he, the most he's missed in any game this year is two tackles. And it's not the physical contact shoulder to shoulder. It's not that. That's his problem. It's a bit. It's a bit like Dane Laurie, and he's just his position in defence isn't great. He's in the line when he should be at the back. You know, like he's on the left when he should be on the right. He's like he's five metres to the left when the kick. Like he's just in the wrong position sometimes at fullback. For me, um, T I thought the move of Jack Bird into the back row actually helped Saints a lot. Made a difference, didn't it? I thought Jack Bird was quite good. It was good. He gave him a little bit of ball playing on the fringe, and also um, someone who's a little bit more mobile and agile in terms of their lateral defence. And I thought Jack DeBellin actually added something to them as well with his ball playing and coming to the line. He gave a different look for Saints as well. He's a bit more fluid when he plays that way. The Broncos, they, they you know, 18 all at halftime. I thought the Dufty try at halftime just gave Saints Killed a them. Start. Sucked the energy out of them, right? Took the energy and I don't out. Know, what was Jermaine Osako thinking? There's 10 seconds to go to halftime. Just bat it dead. Bat it dead. Yeah, he's probably thinking, well, I'm hey, getting, What's he thinking with 10 seconds to go? He's going to get a seven-tackle set? I mean, just bat it away. Probably thinking there was no one there and it's half-time, except he didn't realise Matt Dufty, who only comes up to his knees, was going to come through and score a try. And yet, Rabadi, Rabadi, mate, what a specimen that guy is. <laughs> running running at you at full speed. He's quite a frightening prospect athletically and runs pretty hard as well. So they might have a really good sort of interchange player in Rabadi in, in the future. But other than that, Broncos once... That try at halftime came through. Their heads dropped, and then they just got blown away in the second half, really. So, um, you know, good win for just Saints. Just Rabadi, just one thing. Do you think they need more athletic players, the Broncos? Do you think that's their problem? Um, no, they don't. It's not athleticism, right? It's the fact that they haven't got anyone who can play footy. He, he looks a good prospect. So, But, you know, good win for the Dragons. They beat... I mean, he might be... If he's got any brains, he might be ahead of Tavita Pangai Jr. Yeah, possibly. It's possibly. He looks like he's got a good barber, so... He doesn't need to break protocol to get a haircut, no. So we move on to the Friday night game, and this was I enjoyed this game. The Tigers versus the Panthers at Leichhardt. We mentioned it a little bit earlier. 9,000 rabid, absolutely rabid Tigers supporters. And they ran out 26-6 winners. And may I say I picked this. The Tigers fans, you've got to be able to beat the Panthers reserve great team because the Panthers were missing seven on orange and duty and one suspension, so they had eight out from their starting lineup. In the first half, actually, the Panthers dominated field position and tried to target target the Tigers' left edge, but they held the Tigers held firm, and Jacob Little went the length of the field after he was out of... He actually, if you look where he catches that ball, where he, <laughs> he's actually out of position. He's completely in the wrong spot, but he gets it, and he ran the length of the field. I thought he was going to get run down, for the ti- and the Tigers went up 10-0 after he scored that. And the reserves for the Panthers, just not as good. I mean, they just l- lacked a bit of polish, even, even after... Winning the first half penalty count nine three, they were still they were just just a little bit off in their execution, right? I mean they were quicker, but they just they just weren't. It, it's a big out, right? Eight players are out. There's too many players out, and it hampered their. Like you say, it made their attack a little bit less clinical and a little bit slower. And I think it gave the Tigers' defense time to adjust. I don't think it adjust. was slower. I think it was a little I bit. Thought slower. the execution was poorer. Okay, it, it looks quicker sometimes for the Panthers because they're executing. Well, okay, yep, okay, got you, yep, yeah. So, so whereas if the pass goes a little bit behind them, it looks slower, right? It's not that the players themselves were slower. I do think Tyrone May's got the vision and he's got the passing, but you can see the difference. He's not as direct and he doesn't challenge the line as much as say like That's a right. clearing different Luai. types of players. Yeah. So, I think that allowed the, the Tigers' defense to scramble quite well. Uh, so, I thought the Tigers were really fired up for this game, but the Panthers' pressure finally told with Matt Burton scoring after Moses Mbai got hurt. And, and completely threw out the Tigers' right-hand defence. Um, so poor Moses Zimbai, but his timing couldn't have been any worse on that. And then with 15 minutes to go, Robert Jennings, high shot on Luciano whilst he was grounding the ball, resulted in a penalty try and an 18-6 lead to the Tigers in the second half. In the end, the Tigers ran out winners 26-6 and defended desperately. And I loved the Cleary as a wanker chant. It was great to have that passion there <laughs> at the end of the game. Of course it was. It's good. good it was great. You. Yeah. And I thought Alex Toll was great. Unsung. He got through a mountain of work for the Tigers. Um, and he's, and you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Aiden Tolman. He's the Tigers' Aiden Tolman. He just gets through a lot of work and does a lot of little things that others don't see. And, and Luke Brick, 
Brooks was excellent, particularly in defense. Forget about his attack for a second. He he looked really solid. He was making all his tackles. Um, the, the Tigers were good. And I thought Matt Burton tried hard. He, he might have even you might have even actually accused him of trying a little bit too hard. Yes, look, same. I, I thought the Tigers were fired up. And I thought what the difference was, was with that many players out, I thought the fluidity in attack wasn't quite there. And the Tigers' defense could pick them off. Players got cramped for space. And you could see that they've got great individual players, but some of their players sometimes are very reliant on how the system's just been humming along, right? Had a few changes this week. They kind of sputtered a little bit. I thought Brooks was excellent. I think Brooks is a confident, very much a confidence player. And I think when he's running at the line and really playing aggressively, he's then his defense, it's like his whole game improves. Can I ask you a question about Luke Brooks? I think he's a good player. Oh, I actually think Adam Dwey, he's the better player. I think he's more over, overly skillful and got better vision. Yes, I do. I agree with that. So I think my, my personal opinion is Adam Dwey, he's the better player. Both ends. He reminds me a bit of Paul George in the NBA, right? He's, I think Adam Dwey, he's a better two-way player. He's less of a liability in defense. Yep. And he tries hard. You always get effort from Adam Dwey. Yep. And, I, and it's clear that Luke Brooks and Adam Dwey, he can't play together. Okay, yep. I would drop Luke Brooks controversial I know but I think Adam Duahey is the go forward half there I can see the Tigers improving and making the eight with Adam Duahey as a half I'm not sure I can see it with Luke Brooks as a half Luke Luke Brooks Luke Brooks to be a top echelon player needs to be playing at a top club with great players around him and I think Luke Brooks will look amazing do I think Luke Brooks can carry a team on his own to the eight no I think Adam Dwayne, he's the better bet in that regard. Look, I think, like I said, I think he's very much a confidence guy and the coach has to allow him to be aggressive. And I don't know if Madge McGuire allows him to do that because once, it's almost like you can see when he's freed mentally, he plays a different style of football. He attacks, he steps, he runs at the line. He's a lot more aggressive. He only does that in certain spurts, which means to me they're running too many set plays. And I think when you take that, that's his strength. Vision's not the best. Adam Dwayne has better vision, but... If you take away Luke Brooks' strength, then he becomes like a ball shuffler. He's just shuffling the ball along, and he doesn't have an impact, and I think his confidence disappears. And I think when his confidence is up, he impacts the game quite well, and he adds actually a running component to their half 5-8 combination, which some players don't have. So I think it's a combo that can actually work. I just think Luke Brooks has to be told, you know what, run, attack, and play what you see, and go for it. And just on the Panthers, on their attack, I think without Luai, even though they had good players in Matt Burn, I thought they looked a tad mechanical. But I also think there's a little bit of that magic that comes with Cleary and Luai following each other around, which I thought it looked a lot more set playish this time without a little bit of that X factor. Having said that, the Tigers turned up and really had a really, a really good dig. They were fired up. They wanted to beat them. And they got a couple of lucky calls here and there, lucky bounces, a head-eye tackle and a penalty try. And you know what? They hung on and they won the game think it was a penalty try and i think that and i think the tigers deserved it good win for the tigers to be honest great win for the tigers and they're just two points outside the eight now it's really compressing in that bottom half of the eight so if we move on to super saturday which actually lived up to its name which i was a bit worried about before this round of football the storm versus the titans the storm held on and literally held on for a 20 to 14 win i thought the tide i actually thought the titans would struggle without their best players but I think what we learnt was the actual problem might lie with those players. As the Titans nearly pulled off an upset with Brian Kelly butchering a certain try. That a would certain have got them try? Oh, an absolute yeah, okay. certain try. You don't think it was a certain try? No, I think he butchered about four tries, Brian Kelly. Oh, right, half. that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. God. I mean, he just... Brian Kelly, he's another one. Can't pass, can't pass right to left. Either that or didn't want to. One of the two. If yeah. I was the coach, Justin Holbrook must be. I think Justin head. Holbrook was like literally going to come down and kill him. That's what it looked like on the cover. Blame him. I mean, Jesus, I don't. It was like the Justin Olam thing from earlier this season against the Panthers, except four times. I mean, yeah, it was terrible, exactly. Brian Kelly. The problem might might lie with Dave Fafita, Tino, AJ Brimson. And those guys, I look. Their defense was heaps better. The, I mean, the Storm were up sixteen four at half time, but it all switched around in the second half as the Titans really tested the Storm right edge in particular. With the Titans getting some purchase down that side, the the Titans in the second half had thirty eight tackles inside the Storm twenty. The Storm only had four in the second half, and despite having thirty eight tackles inside the Storm twenty, they could only put on ten points. So David Fafita makes a big difference to their attack. But he also makes a big difference to their defense. Their defense was heaps better, but their attack was... What are you going to say about that, G? What are you going to say about um, their attack coach? 10 points off 38 tackles inside the 20 in the second Jimmy half. Jimmy D thought that Melbourne 
played well. They always turn up. I thought Jerome Hughes was fantastic, as he always is. Jerome Hughes was fantastic. Brandon Smith was great. And I thought Nelson Oso for Salomona, both in attack and defense, was a workhorse. Absolutely, and you know what the scary thing is? Nelson's six foot six, six foot seven, weighs one hundred and twenty kilos, and he works harder than a lot of the props that are. Mate, a lot the smaller. effort plays in defence were fantastic, but Jerome Hughes and, and Brandon Smith was fantastic both in defence and attack as well. It was good to see the debut of Jaden Campbell, Preston Campbell, one of my all-time favourite players. His son, well, I thought his son both him playing. and Greg Greg Marju, a para junior, by the way, yep, were good on debut, but their 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 best I thought was Tyrone Peachy, particularly when he moved into dummy half. Yeah, he gave them and, a little bit of spark Wallace out of there. Yeah, Jared absolutely Wallace absolutely really took it to the Storm pack, really really good. And the Storm were reduced to twelve when Remus Smith got binned. The Titans attack lacked polish, and the Storm held on. I mean, they ended up winning twenty to fourteen. The Titans, Brian Kelly learns how to pass. They win that game. Jimmy Dimmick, their attack. What are you going to say about their demack, their attack, and the Jim Dimmick show? I thought the Titans' attack wasn't bad. I just think they have no speed whatsoever at all. They were getting Herbert in space and getting Marju, but the thing is, it was so clunky and slow that they had no, they didn't have the pace to take advantage of anything they created. That's where I think the problem was. And Brian Kelly bombed a few tries. I think their team has real issues physically the Titans. There's a lot of them that seem to be playing very heavy and they lack a lot of lateral agility in defence especially. And when Aaron Clark is your backup hooker is as big as Jared Wallace and your wingers are as big as Jared Wallace, your prop. I know they have different sizes but it, it seems like they've got this one size fits all and everyone looks the same, right? Except for a few players. And I think they're, they're creating but they don't have the speed to take advantage of what they're creating. And I think that's what costs them against the Storm. Mate, there's some serious problems with the Titans. My, my view is there's some serious problems. You, they can't pull it together, G. They're either conceding 50 points or they're conceding less and the attack's looking poor. Like, they can't... There's something in between the ears going on there that one week they can defend and the next week they can't and one week they can attack and the next week they can't. They haven't pulled together an 80-minute performance all year. And I honestly think... They're lacking a lot of fitness and they're playing very heavy and they can't keep up with the speed of the game. Because I'm watching the game, Ash Taylor brought some great touches, but he was just, I know he's been out, but he's, he's been like this all season. He can't keep up with the play. No, Ash Taylor's carrying a bit of pud. They all are. I don't know what they do in the halves next year. I mean, if I was them, can I tell you what I would do? Honestly, what I would do instead of Jamal Fogarty, you know who I'd bring in as my 5'8"? Connor Watson. He's off contract. He's tough as nails, can cover a few different positions. You just need to bring in an organising half next to him. They've got the right ideas in attack, but something's missing. Like AJ Brimson doesn't look as fast as he did last year. Marju looked sluggish, but he's a, it's his debut. His debut. He's 24, by the way, making his debut. Patrick yeah. Herbert looks like he's carrying foot. Eason Masters looks fatter than he was at North Queensland. Eason like, Masters looks like he swallowed a I sheep. I didn't know chewing. that was Eason Masters, right? Eason I Masters. That, I thought it was. I thought it was the reincarnation of Sam Cassiano. You know, he's your centre. And, like, if you watch Eason Marston play for the Tigers a couple of years ago, he's light on his feet and had good footwork. He looked like a prop out there. Like, physically, something's not right with any of the players. Brian Kelly gets beaten constantly. He didn't look that... It's good that he makes up for that defence with good decision-making and attack. I I think Brian Kelly has potential, but something's not right with Brian Kelly at the moment. So Tremaine Spry, I watched him in an earlier game. He's currently their fitness regime is not is hampering their players, and I think you're seeing it in defence and attack. But they really should have won that game. G will blame anything but Jim Dimmick. Correct. For the Titans that is exactly woes. right. But now that's my takeaway from the game. Melbourne, but they had that game on toast basically, and they couldn't score because they just couldn't take advantage of what they were creating, and they just. I, I think. I think. The Storm were good in defence too. I mean, let's give the Storm a little bit of credit as well. The yeah. Storm's defence is excellent always. It's it's a bit of second year syndrome for Justin Holbrook and Adam O'Brien, which is a good segue into a magnificent game on Sunday on Channel of Nine. It was a blockbuster yes. clash, and the mighty Eels were back, winning forty to four. It was twenty two nil to the Eels in the first half, and the only thing that didn't make it worse was Mitch Moses's kicking. Otherwise, it would have been 30 nil at halftime. The, the Eels really were a class above. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to have to say too much about this game. They terrorised the Knights' right edge. Sivo was nearly unstoppable, particularly close to the line. And through contact, he's, he just can absorb contact and just steamroll people. But also on the left and through the middle, I mean, they just... Knights were completely outmatched in all facets of the game. Ryan Madison scored one on the right and had a try assist. Sean Lane then gave a beautiful offload to Bryce Cartwright to make it 28-0 early in the second half. Um, I've been critical of Wonga Blake, but he was really good. 
but the poor Knights were terrible. They they really were. Opacic got another after some really good work from Reed Marnie and Gutho converted because Mitch Moses tweaked the calf and was replaced by Will Smith. To compound the Knights' problems, Suase Su got binned for a late hit on Reed Marnie, who then appeared to do well, what subsequently was revealed as a partially dislocated shoulder, thank God, as opposed to a pec injury, means he'll only be out for a few weeks. And in the end, Para won 40-4 on the Knights, Knights Old Boys Day. I don't, know, I don't know, dominant from beginning to end. I mean, there wasn't a ray of sunshine really there for the Knights on that performance. My takeaway from this game essentially was I thought Para came out on fire. Having Fergo missing on the wing, I thought gave their attack a little bit more speed when they created opportunities down that down that side. So they took advantage of them with Dunster a little bit more. Great name. I love Hayes Dunster. What a name. And I thought Para came at Newcastle in numbers and at speed. And Gutho just picked them apart. Like short, long, runarounds. And Newcastle just couldn't handle it. They hung in for a while. But then towards the back end of the half, it got steamrolled, really. And then it was 22-0 at half time and game over. I thought Para were very impressive. The Knights were terrible, though. You can't take a lot through it. You can't take a lot away from it. Look, to be honest, T, I thought Para just was way too good in attack. But it's one of those performances where I thought Para really came at them the whole game. But they always tend to do this. And Bryce Cartwright was a lot more prominent. And I thought that that gave their attack again a different look. One thing about Wonga Blake is he actually got more involved in attack in this game on that fringe and it made a difference as well to Para. Why do they only do this against the easy beats? When they play against a tougher side, I know they try a lot, play a little bit more composed. That's the one, I guess, contrast I take away from this game for Para. I thought... Can I tell you why? Why? Go ahead. Because the poor teams let you play this way. I think that's part of it, but I also think Para came out. No, at I, a, I don't no? think you can. I okay. don't think you can compare the Knights and the Bulldogs and the Broncos against playing against the Storm, and it's just they're just not going to get their line speeds better. Then they don't give you this. the Knights had no line speed. Like we could, we could do whatever the hell we wanted. There were times Wonga Blake got the ball on the left, beat a couple of tackles, and made a break down the right. Like you don't get, you don't get that against the Panthers and the Storm. Okay, well, you make a good point in terms of having a little bit more time to play. I just think you can see Paris' potential against some of, okay, yeah, some of the crapper teams, but they need to find a way to get that same level of tempo against some of the better teams. They need to get that fluency against the better teams in attack, and I agree with that. I agree with that, but you're not going to have a game like the Knights where it's this you just dominate. The the, the good teams defend too well. No, they, you're not going to go through them 40-0, but I think Parrot doesn't throw enough enough at the defence of the good teams when they play. They they play a more conservative brand of football, I would say. They need to bring the style of play against the Knights against some of these better teams if they're going to beat them. They've got the talent. I don't know if Brad Arthur's got the guts, basically. What I liken Parrot to, and I likened them on the pod last week, to, is... A little bit like the Liverpool Spice Boys. They're just the second or third best group of player, young players, completely overshadowed by the Panthers. If, if the Panthers weren't there, like Para would have had four or five origin players there, right? It's kind of they're the second best set of players in Sydney. I, I think that's, that's kind of, unfortunately... They blew them away, and I think... They did what they had to do, yeah. What they had to do, but I did like the move of Dunster on the wing instead of Ferguson. I just don't think... You can take too much away from the Knights. and We've got the Tigers this week, and I think that'll be a tougher game than the Knights. So well, what we might do is do the round 14 preview and then talk about Origin. Yep, of what course. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, all right. So f- because of Origin, there's no Thursday night game. There's two games on the Friday night. First up, it's the Manly versus, Manly versus the Cowboys. Manly are $1.32 favourites. Cowboys are $3.40. And the Cowboys have a nine-and-a-half-point start. Um, I think Tommy Turbo and Jake will not back up two days after Origin. And I don't think Val Holmes and Cohen Hess, if Cohen Hess gets on the field, will back up for the Cowboys. And as a and as a result, Tommy Turbo not being there for the Manly Sea Eagles. I mean, I'll wait till Origin to make my tip. But if what I think there happens, then I'm going to go for the Cowboys. I'm like you. You're going to get a lot of these games where players are going to be 50-50 up until the actual game itself. So tipping is going to be very difficult this week. I, I suppose the way I look at it is I think the Eagles can carry Jake Trebojevic not being out. I think if Josh Schuster plays... He adds that variety to their attack again. But if Tom Trebojevic is out, he's a far bigger loss to Manly. Then Val Holmes has been playing great, but I think the Cowboys playing can, well. You know, can probably compensate for him more than the Seagulls can compensate for Tommy. If Tommy plays, I'm tipping the Seagulls. If not, I think the Cowboys will actually pip them in this game. If so, let me play. let me put you another. Let me put it to you another way. If you're Des, do you risk his hamstring two days after Origin? No, I wouldn't. So he doesn't play. I can't see a world. Would you? Would you? No, of course not. 
I wouldn't risk either of them. I just wouldn't give them a run. And I just think if they're both out and Val Holmes and Cohen Hess are out for the Cowboys, then I think the Cowboys can overcome that deficit more than the Manly can overcome not having Tommy Agree. Taylor. That's, yeah. that's my view. Um, another game that I think will be interesting is the Sharks versus the Panthers. The Sharks, $3.50. Again, it's the Channel 9 game. Panthers, $1.31 favourites. The Sharks have nine and a half point start. If I am Ivan Cleary... Yep. I don't pick any of the seven Origin players 48 hours afterwards. You're in front by a mile in the comp. You're one of you're going to finish first or second in your respective. What have you got to gain by this game on a Friday night risking any of those players with two days turnaround? I think you might find a couple of them may play. A few of them may play and a few of them will miss out. And they'll probably do that and probably reverse that at a different game. Like, would I play Nathan Cleary? Probably not. But why would you risk them? If you're Ivan Cleary, why would you risk them? It's different if you're playing... Sunday or Monday, I think that's that's a big enough turn. Four or five days is a big enough turnaround. But I think 48 hours, and they've got to come back from North Queensland to get back to Shark Park. Seven Origin players. I, I just I don't know why you would risk any of them when you're already at top of the ladder and you're killing teams. I think they might play someone like Luai just to give their halves a little bit more impetus because they struggled in that area. But would I think they'd play both of them and leave, they'd leave some of the forwards out? I don't think they'd play the whole team, no. But there'll be a few players that they play. I'm expecting one of Cleary or Luai to back up. So I'm probably going to tip... Oh, this is a hard one. I probably will tip the Sharks because they seem to be playing with a little bit more joy. And if I'm Ivan Cleary, I want to give these kids that I gave a run last week another run or another two or three runs because you don't know what happens with injuries later on in the season. So you need some run in their legs. And this is the perfect window for him to do it. Agree with that, yeah. So it's probably not a bad idea. They win-win and they give their guys a rest as well. So potentially I'm going for two upsets there, Cowboys and the Sharks. Now, if you move on to the Super Saturday games, you first up, you've got the Titans versus the Roosters. Titans are $3.75. The Roosters are $1.28. The Titans have got an 11.5 point start. I think the Roosters will get up. I can't see the Roosters losing this game. The Titans have got too many flaws. I do think a lot of the Titan Titans' problems are physically related. I've got no idea which Titans show up either. Shows up either. Last year they played with the speed and enthusiasm and a joy in the way they played football. This time they seem a little bit more mechanical and they don't seem to be able to be playing with the same tempo and pace. And I think the Roosters will play too fast for them. And the Roosters don't have that many players out. I think the Roosters will win this and win this comfortably. Yeah, I think the Roosters will get up now. If the the, the game of the round is clearly the next game, and that's Souths first Knights. Souths are a dollar eighteen, and the Knights are five dollars. The Knights have a sixteen and a half point start. Only Latrell backing up, and Daniel Saifidi for the Knights. Um, is David Clemmer back this week? Either way, I don't. I can't see the Knights winning this. I think the Souths will win it in a canter. I mean, look, you got Cody Walker. Latrell will be backing up. They've got Alex Johnson. They're well, almost even if Latrell doesn't play, even if Latrell doesn't play, I think they win this game by a lot. And the Knights were terrible. The Knights have just got too many injuries constantly, too many consistent injuries, too many, too many changes. They have no fluidity. The players, they're just unsettled constantly from week to week. And the Rabbitohs have got a settled combo in some of their players. And they can't, can't beat, the Knights can't beat them. Then The Rabbitohs will be too good. I think Tuala's got a lot of potential. But with the Knights, they've just been too many you changes. You your origin team. Yeah, you did. Too, yeah, I did. I th- I just think that Luke Capewell. We'll talk about it in Origin. I'll explain why. What about Kurt Capewell? Kurt Capewell. Luke's Luke, Luke's oh, love lost. Jesus. Okay. Cousin. Yeah, there was a Luke Capewell too. All right. Next up, last game on Super Saturdays: the Raiders versus the Broncos. Raiders are a dollar thirty-seven favourites. Broncos three dollars ten. Broncos have eight and a half point start. I, I think the Raiders get this. They've had a buy. They're coming off a win. I mean, they've got a few issues down there, so you don't know, right? I don't tip it with confidence. I'm not tipping it with confidence. Look, I am loath to pick the Broncos because they, they let me down all the time. I'm going to tip the Raiders as a result because I have a little bit too much faith in the Broncos. But with the Raiders, they could start off at 16-0 and then lose 30-16 for all that I know. So yeah, this game, the Raiders are in front by 40 points after the 30-minute mark. I mean, mark. I really have no idea with this game. I, I, I've i had enough tipping the Broncos. I've believed in them a little bit too much, so I'm tipping the Raiders down in Canberra. I think this is a 50-50 for me. I do, yeah. No, I think the Raiders will get it. I think the Raiders will get them. So if we move on to the Sunday games, uh, first up, we've got the Warriors versus the Storm. Uh, the Warriors are $5 outsiders. The Storms are, Storm is $1.18 favourites. The Warriors have a 14.5 point start. I think the Storm will win. I think this is a bit like the South Knights game. I can't see any other way in which the Storm, other than the Storm winning. 
depends on what happens at Origin. I think the Origin players in the Sunday games will play. But even if the Storm rested those players, you saw how they played against the Titans. I think they'll beat the Warriors. I agree with you. I think the Storm, their second, I guess, side is a little bit too good for the Warriors anyway. And if you have a couple of their players back, I think they'll be way too strong for the Warriors. And the Warriors, honestly, just they're trying to grind out wins all the time. Against the Storm, it's not going to work. The defense is too good. You've got to play a little bit more footy, and the Warriors don't really do that until they're too far behind, and the Storm won't let them back in the game. So Storm for me, and they will win comfortably. And the last game on Sunday is uh, my Mighty Eels against the Tigers, which is always a great game. Uh, $1.25 for the Eels. Is, uh, Tigers are $4. The Tigers have an 11.5 point start. The Tigers are coming into a bit of form. So I, I think the Eels will get this, but I think it'll be closer than people think. I think it'll be under two tries. I know it was against the Knights, but what I saw from the Eels against the Knights was good enough, and I think... Reed Marnie's out. He makes a big difference to us. It probably gives the Eels a little bit less variety if Reed Marnie's out. I just think that they'll they'll be too strong for the Tigers. I saw good signs against the Knights. It was the Knights, but if they play with the same enthusiasm and that same level, the Tigers can't go with the Eels. They're, they're in a different class, so Eels for me as well. Okay. And the Easter, oh, the Easter Monday, I was going to call it. The Queen's Birthday game, which is, of course, the traditional Queen's Birthday game. The Bulldogs versus the Saints at Stadium Australia. Uh, Bulldogs are $4.50 outsiders, and the Saints are $1.20 favourites. The Bulldogs have 13.5 points start. Matt Dufty's back for the Saints, so I could see this being a, like a 40-20 to 20 game or 40-16 to 16 or something like that. I think with Matt Dufty there, and you remember that... Um diabolical game that was at Cogra between the two. The Dragons oh, the basically slept slept walk to a win. Oh my god. I can't see anything changing. It was the 2-0 game, wasn't it? Yeah. It was the 2 deal game. Can't yeah. see anything changing. Um so Dragons for me. It's not gonna be a great game. Yeah, I think the Dragons will get up. So G sold his soul once again this week by tipping against the Bulldogs. His hyper rationality just goes to show that he's a fair weather friend for someone who spends as much time as he does at Belmore Car Park. So let's move on to the origin preview. So this it's actually interesting, right? And I've got a few opinions on this. It's been played in Townsville. Queensland are the outsiders. Surprise, surprise, $2.50. They've got a four and a half point start. And New South Wales are $1.54 favourites. Now the New South Wales pack is very, very mobile. Their biggest forwards are actually on the bench. So that suggests to me that they're going to try and move the Queensland pack around a little bit. So I think there could be a bit of ball thrown around, particularly with the with Cleary and Luai and the new rules, I think they're going to play quite an up-tempo pace, and that's why they've picked such a mobile pack. If you think about it, Cam Murray's on an edge as opposed to playing through the middle, right? Mm. They've got Isaiah Yo, they've got Liam Martin there, they've got Jake Trebojevic. They're big boppers like Junior Paulo, and those guys are on the bench. I And Payne Haas. So I actually think there's this, this game will go one of two ways. I think Queensland will either win it just... Or I think the most more likely scenario is I think New South Wales will actually rack up a few points here. Preview of origins, I think New South Wales is going to beat them and beat them comfortably. And yeah, I can't, I look at the teams on paper as well, and I go New South Wales wins this by. You got Tom Tom Trebojevich and Latrell Mitchell really shore up that centre position. And how is Kurt Capewell and Dane Gagai is a little. I love, I love Dane Gagai as a player. He's a different person at Origin though. He plays really well at Origin. He can, but I don't think he's going to be. I guess dynamic enough to beat a Trebojevic or a Latrell Mitchell in space. They've kind of got his number. He's not fast enough to really beat them. And the only way I can see Queensland staying in the game is they use their big boppers. It's not as mobile. It's a tighter game. They just grind it out and they just win, right? Or but if if there's if New South Wales get a couple of early tries, it could be anything. I think um, New South Wales is going to play a far more expansive game, and that's partly Freddie's coaching. He, he likes the players to play football, and I think New South Wales, as a result, has got too much pace, too much speed, and too much power. Now, Kurt Capewell's there to probably either handle a, you know Tommy Turbo or Latrell, but they're still too fast and too strong for him anyway, and vice versa. Gagai doesn't have enough attacking ability to beat them easily like they can handle him really well so Queensland doesn't have much in attack to trouble them like you say unless it's a tight game there's a couple of bounces here or there I can see them winning but if it ends up being a 
somewhat relatively open game. Who's going to stop Brian Toro busting tackles or Addo Carr in space? Jimmy, Jimmy Tedesco basically imposing himself on the game as he's been doing on the Roosters and then having the ability to pass to a flying Mitchell or Trebojevic. Queensland, I know they grow an extra leg, but with Ponga out and these players out, they don't have anything to trouble New South Wales. I can't see New South Wales losing at all. I actually see them winning by about 20 points. And the reason why I mentioned Tuala is for that purpose. They need something in the back line. They don't have it. They have. They don't have much without Ponga and and um, even AJ Brimson out as a change of pace person off the bench. So they got who's going to score? Ben Hunt. Yeah, yeah. There you go. For Queensland to win, the game needs to be a bit of a grind. They need to keep it tight. They need to get. They need to get on top through the forwards. It's not an expansive game. Really high line speed, smashing smashing the New South Wales back line so they don't get a lot of time with the ball. If New South Wales gets some momentum and the confidence levels of those Penrith players and those combinations, I mean, the only weakness I can see in the New South Wales team is 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 really. I actually don't think Damian Cook's been playing that well this year. I would have picked Appy Coruscant. I would have picked another one. So I think I think Harry Grant can get on top of Damian Cook if he starts getting them involved. And like if Harry Grant has one of the games like he did played during Origin last year. The other thing is I'm also thinking to myself, I don't think Cam Munster's going to be fully fit. Harry Grant and Cam Munster can win these games on their own, though. This is the thing, right? If they can keep it tight enough, those guys... I mean, Cam Munster and Harry Grant were superb last year in Origin. I think you mentioned a good point. I think that hooker matchup is very important, and it also will dictate the way New South Wales... But I think if New South Wales, if they try to keep it tight and don't use their strengths, which is their attacking ability and ball playing, I think they play into Queensland's hands. And then Queensland, like you say, I think Harry Grant can add enough magic and variety around the rucks and, and sort of troubling the defence where they can actually get some of their fringe forwards to make breaks. I think that's probably Queensland's advantage. But if they can keep that part somewhat controlled and sort of watch Harry Grant, but they also need Cook to try and push forwards and sort of probe the Queensland defence. And if that, he does that and that opens up the field, I think you're talking, it could be a thrashing. I can see New South Wales winning the game three different ways, and I can see Queensland only winning it one way. If Queensland's line speed is good, then the hooker fight becomes vital. It's who's going to give them more platform and break the line, right? So um, I think for Queensland to stand any chance, they're going to have to be really aggressive in defence and try and keep the game quite tight. Queensland keeps it tight. They've got some players that can create a bit of magic, but if, if New South Wales comes out and I think attacks Queensland's line... They've got too much class across the field. I mean, you, you look, Cleary and Luai combine brilliantly together anyway. Luai adds a bit of magic when he plays for the Panthers. Have him outside of Mitchell or have him outside of Tom Trebojevic. I mean, geez, wow. One thing I will say as well, Nathan Cleary is the best kicking half in the game, but he's the uh, he's of the two, the ball's going to go to Nathan Cleary 99% of the time on the last set, on the last tackle. Queensland have got a bit more variety in their kicking. They've got Cam Munster with the left foot. I know Jerome Luai's left-footed as well, but Cam Munster is a better kicker than Jerome Luai, and I think Daly Cherry Evans is a great kicker as well. So it all leads itself to territory and possession for Queensland. They're going to they're gonna put, put a lot of pressure on that last tackle on Nathan Cleary, and if he can't get good kicks, Jerome Luai in his first origin, first proper origin, where the ball's got to swing a swing around the other side of the ruck for him to kick it. I, 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 you know, there's a way for Queensland to win this, but there's a cert, they've got to play a certain way for it to work, and their their line speed has got to be right up there in defence to win it. For me, I, I think so. I agree with you. I think their top thirteen is is good. They don't really have game breakers. They've got a couple in a couple of positions, but that lends itself, like you say, to a certain style of play, a bit tighter. You know, the ball pressure and when they get into attacking territory to be able to use some of the creativity of their hooker and halves. But outside of that, I think New South Wales can hit them from anywhere. And Adokar, to me, is always the X factor. You create a bit of space for that guy and game over. Well, the rumour is he might switch sides as well. He might he might actually go to the uh, to the right wing because Brian Toho is a specialist left winger. I think, you, I think you're right. I think Toho will play on the left because it's his first game. They want him to be comfortable. Adokar has played on the other side before. And to be honest, like imagine him outside of Tommy T and Latrell dragging in two players, putting through a, a flick pass or, or Tedesco probing around, you know, the fringe there and looking for a ball. I mean, I, I don't know how New South Wales... If they turn up and play good attacking football, I don't think Queensland's a shot at all. Well, the, I, the other the other thing that I think is a problem is Jake Trebojevic. I think Jake Trebojevic in prop actually works. Well, if, if you're playing a mobile, move the forwards around type game. If it gets into a slugfest, if it gets into a slugfest, he's just going to be forced to make 60 tackles on big guys. 
That that's that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think it will actually be more effective as a prop playing really tight. Well, that brings us to the close of another GNT show. Where once again, a bit more of a serious one this week. What happened? We have we've traversed the world of rugby league. Hopefully, you'll be able to join us next week and get this out before state this pot out before State of Origin 2022. That's okay. I think it'll be great. We're doing a preview for next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about the Bulldogs at O'Carr and Matthew Burton playing for New South Wales. Well, he's doubled down. At O'Carr's doubled down. He said, oh, why, why can't we be a good team next year? He said, why can't we build something special at Belmore? I'll tell you why, because you don't have players. Yeah, but do you know what I like about At O'Carr? He's got this enthusiasm. He's got a, a childlike enthusiasm, which is contagious, I think. So I actually think the Bulldogs really need something like that, to be honest. They need something to excite the fans. Listen, go get your cat off the wall and we'll catch you next week. See you later. Catch you next week.